Hey y'all, it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and it is a packed one. Today, the guys will review Detective Season 1, Roman Roll, Small World of Warcraft, Alma Mater. I join Marty for a review of Truffle Shuffle and Mariposas. And Tony and Donna will bring us a puzzle segment. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 207. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. And this episode is called, is this right? It's absolutely right. This is a very important song for this episode. Uh, okay, context before I say this. This is a song from Chuck Berry, what, in the 50s, 60s? I think it was in the 70s, to be ac- uh, accurate. I remember listening to this as a kid and having the 45. But it was Chuck Berry, right? It was definitely Chuck Berry. All right, so this episode is called My Ding-A-Ling. And now I'm just going to shut up. Well, why? Because that's what I, I mean, think about it. it. It has many contexts. It can be all over the place with that. And I mean, if you look, listen to the song, it talks about a game we're going to be talking about, my alma mater. And, and there you go. That's why I picked it. Also, there, there is a negative connotation towards, you know, a fool, someone who is kind of like your jester, your joker, all of that, you know, your dingling, the fool, the idiot. So that's what that song's about. And by the way, I just checked. You are correct, sir. 1972. Thank you. I remember listening to it. And I, I, being young, I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, swimming across Turtle Creek. Man, them snappers were at my feet. So what is the song about again? It's about a bell. Okay, that's what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. So when you say I'm playing with my ding-a-ling, it's yeah. talking a little bell that he got from somewhere? From his mother. Yes, his mother gave him a special bell. Mm-hmm. To help him cope with life's troubles. And, and, and what does this have to do with this episode? <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get demonetized somewhere or something. I've already told you. It's, it's multiple things. There's a, there's a verse in there he, when he talks about alma mater. We must sing about our alma mater. Because we're actually covering the game Alma Mater, which is a brand new game from Eckridge Spill and Plan B Games. Mm-hmm. And Excuse also... Me, while I pop open a Pepsi Zero Sugar Vanilla. Nasty. Absolutely nasty. Vanessa loves these. She looked all over uh, Union County trying to find this. She finally found a Walmart that had them in the cans, and she's so excited. No, I vanilla tasting soda. No, not for me. Not one bit. Oh, you just don't like vanilla sodas in general. No, Coke, oh, Pepsi. I no, do. Mm-mm. I like vanilla ice cream. I love vanilla flavored anything. I like. I like it better than cherry. No, you're not a cherry guy. No, no there's there's really not. Except lime is probably the only flavor I add to any of my um, sodas. So when you go to that special drink machine that's at some theaters and, and Moe's, because we go to Moe's and they have them there. Welcome to Moe's. Do you ever mix in any flavor? And if you had to, what would it be? It would be the lime flavor for Coke Zero, because if you go to Diet Coke, they put the ginger lime in. And I'm not a big fan of the ginger lime. And for me, uh, my go-to actually will be a shot of vanilla. And I will sometimes, you know, go half Coke Zero and then go Coke Zero with lime because sometimes that's almost overpowering. I don't need that. I mm. enjoy it, but I but Coke Zero is good. Coke Mountain yeah. Dew Zero, which is my drink tonight. Oh, zero sugar. It's so funny that you bring this up because on our Discord channel, it was actually brought up today, the discussion comparing Coke Zero and Pepsi Zero Sugar. And then, you know, anytime you do Coke versus Pepsi, there's going to be a war. And and there was. 
That was on one of the podcast, Business Wars. I have only listened to episode one of the Pepsi versus Coke war. But anyway, so yeah, people are asking, what do you think of Pepsi Zero Sugar? And it's funny. I go back and forth between the two. If I want that Coke taste, which is kind of a strong, burny taste, I get the Coke Zero. But if I want the more smooth, sweet taste, I go with Pepsi Zero Sugar. I like them both. Uh, well, I have not been on our Discord channel, which is approaching 100 subscribers. Do you subscribe to Discord? Um, Join? Join? Join okay. the server? Subscribe? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what the term is. Like every Every platform has its own terminology for what you do follow like subscribe yield i don't yeah, know i don't know either uh become a member it's hard telling so from my standpoint i have not been on it today because discord is blocked at work and i was actually in the office today we are in charlotte north carolina for those who are not aware of that and charlotte has had the pleasure of Hosting the RNC, not hosting the RNC, hosting the RNC. And my job requires me to work for the power company. We had to be monitoring all that, so I haven't been on today. So I've missed all that discussion. But I did get to hear these Blackhawks fly directly over our building. Thankfully, it's not the full convention because last time when the Democratic National Convention here, it was a madhouse. And when we won, I say in quotes, won the next National Convention for the Republicans, I went, oh, geez, here comes the same mess again. There's only like 100 people here, so it's hopefully not that big of a deal for you, is it? No, well, it's over is uh, 300 plus uh, people came in. They stayed at the hotel, did their little thing, did whatever they needed to do. There was, quote, a surprise visitor. Not really a surprise visitor. We knew about it well in advance. So I'm not really sure how that's a surprise. But yeah, it was over by 3 p.m. today. The Secret Service said, we're done. We're out of here. See y'all. Y'all have a good time. And that was it. You know what? Again, that's way better than four days of the mess that we had like we did four years ago. It's like, all right, Charlotte, stop asking for these conventions. Go get something cool like Comic-Con or something like that. Uh, Yeah, because if it had been four days, I would not be here because I would be covering (laughs) the midnight to 12 p.m. shift. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. So earlier, the reason why I want to make sure we had the year right uh, for my ding-a-ling coming out, because I thought it was a 50s or 60s, you said 70s. Tony, I have to make a couple corrections from our previous episode that was promptly pointed out to me on social media. So I'm going to ask you before you make those corrections, should this just not be a normal segment for you? (laughs) That's that's fair. Uh, But I'm telling you why we're going to do this correction and why it doesn't need to be a normal segment, because I'm going to put some skin in the game, Tony. Here we go. Let me let me let me explain the corrections and what I mean by that. Vanessa and I recorded our segment and we talked about Funko games. Uh, we talked about made reference to Yacht Rock and she made the reference to the song Easy Like Sunday Morning. I immediately said, oh, yeah, that's the Earth, Wind and Fire song. Now, have you ever said something and you in your gut, something doesn't feel right, like in your head, it's right, but in your gut, it's not. And when I said Earth, Wind and Fire, it's like that just doesn't feel right. But I ran with it. I ran with it. I didn't just say, hold on to Vanessa, because I, I can edit this part out. Let me look it up real quick and see who did it. I just ran with it. And immediately on Twitter, somebody said, oh, by the way, you do realize that Easy Like Sunday Mornings, the Commodores. I went, crap, it's the Commodores. That's who did it. So that's number one. So I screwed up there. Next, when we were talking about remakes of movies, we mentioned the uh, sci-fi movie Day the Earth Stood Still. 
I didn't have a bad gut feeling about this. I knew it was Tom Cruise. It was not Tom, Tom Cruise. It was Keanu Reeves that uh, remade that movie. So two major faux pas. And you're right, Tony. We should have an entire segment to the errors that we are prone to and make. But you know what? I'm going to make ourselves accountable. Here's what we're going to do. And I haven't told you about this yet. And you're going to go, excuse me? If ever during an episode, we make a blatant error, a blatant factual error, and you let us know on email, rolldicetechnamed at gmail.com or one of our social media accounts, I will give you a $5 gift certificate to Miniature Market. Okay. As long as it's coming out of your budget, I don't care. <laughs> well, I mean, I said, I said, I, it's, 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 it's our people will now listen more intently, but let me tell you ones that do not count. Pronunciations of names do not count because I'm sorry, that is, we're trying and we just get it wrong. Accidentally saying like a wrong thing, like you said it plays two to four people, it plays to five people. That is not a grievous enough error. If I say something you awarded like five points, but it's only four, that's not a big enough error. But if I say like the designer of the game and it's the wrong designer, something like that would count. So when I say the wrong name of a designer, I cannot count that as a pronunciation problem? No, because if you say like Eric Lane and it meant to be Rob Davio, I don't see how you mispronounced one for the other. But these European names, I could count that. Okay, there's a gray area there. I mean, somebody <laughs> can argue their point, right? I'm just saying a blatant like... Easy Like Sunday Morning was not Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Tom Cruise was not in Day the Earth Stood Still. No, War of the Worlds. War, war, war of the Worlds. That part was right. Yes, he was in War of the Worlds. So you said at the beginning of this, you asked me a question and continued talking, which is kind of just normal. <laughs> but you said, do I, ever, or do I ever have that gut feeling in your head, and you're like, oh, the gut feeling in your head and all this, that you're just doing the wrong thing, but you keep going? Well, I don't have a gut feeling in my head. I have it in my uh, gut. No, well, yes, I knew that was coming out wrong either way. So <laughs> yes. um, to answer <laughs> that, your question. That right? would count. That's $5 right yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, oh, no, no. We're going to throw out my bad use of uh, metaphors. Metaphors, yes. Yeah, no, that mixed does not metaphors count. do not count. That, that'd be like a cuss jar, and we could go to uh, the Essen on that count right there. Wow. Uh, no, but... For me, it is, do I ever have that? Yes. When I hit record on that box right there in front of me, I have that feeling until I hit stop recording. <laughs> That's where my feeling is, okay? <laughs> is this wrong? Yes. <laughs> For the past eight years, you've had, you've had a lot of those, eh? So that's a grievous error right there. We haven't been on for eight years. Almost eight years. It'll be eight years in December. I thought it was seven. It was 2020 minus 2012. Oh, did we start in 2012? Yeah, we did. I yeah. swear, if if we fact check that and somebody says we're wrong, that's pretty sad. It, it was December 2012. Okay. But does it really matter? We've been background noise for so long. Yeah, exactly. And we're still we're still that right now. So, yeah. So, there you go. Corrections. And I'm not going to be posting this or advertising this all the place. You, you, if you've heard it once, I've made the claim now. I'm not going to be like saying this every episode. You call us out on social media or on an email or on Discord or Facebook, wherever, 
$5 miniature market gift certificate right to your account. Which, by the way, go over to miniaturemarket.com and you can order things, pre-order things, build up that credit of $100 and it will be shipped to you free. That's right at miniaturemarket.com. Does that one count? Or you're in the commercial. Yeah, remember, if you get a $5 certificate, you can just add it to your account as credit, and you, didn't, you ain't got to use it right then. That's the nice thing about those gift cards. Hey, Tony, we've been getting into a good groove getting together on Thursday nights at the Jason's Deli and playing some games. And which my wife asked me tonight. She goes, is this going to become a every week thing? And you went, hasn't it already? <laughs> I I was careful. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it had become that. Do you not remember? It's amazing how these past five months of this virus has taken away certain memories for people. Yeah, because we were pretty regular on Thursday nights. We had a good uh, record going out to the store over to uh, Mark, who's from the Scurry Report. I hadn't seen him in forever. He's still holed mm-hmm. up somewhere yeah. down deep beneath the ground, I think, somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah, he has burrowed deep. That's okay. It's all right. It's whatever he needs You're okay to do. with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Good thing we don't give $5 for that. Or neat or whatever else I will happen to say. Like I said, I hit record. I'm already <laughs> dreading it. Yeah. So anyway, so, yes. uh, so a big thanks out to the Jason's Dell in Pineville who lets us come and hang out. And what's so cool is there's like nobody else there. They're probably <laughs> lets like, us hang out. <laughs> They're like, come on in, guys. <laughs> yeah, please. So we go in there. We all order a delicious sandwich or some soup or a salad. And they, uh, I will say at least the free ice cream machine is still running. But we've all been good, Tony. I think I've only ever gotten one scoop or cone every time that we've gone there i have i don't keep filling it up so i feel like I'm, i've been controlling myself have you ever gone back for doubles i have not gone back and there is a reason for this now because okay. we're there for a while but they keep that place at meat freezer temperature if you eat more than two ice creams there you are frozen there is no i'd be sitting over there shivering they do keep the air conditioning uh, running at high speed in there yeah and i think it's because they you know they're used to a volume of people and you have to keep those establishments you, you know they're set they're programmed whatever so that they can maintain that but they just don't have that volume of people in there. But it's really cool. It's all these games that we're going to talk about tonight uh, that you and I played together. We actually played at Jason's Deli over the past couple of weeks. And last week, uh, you and I got together and I showed you this really cool electronic board game called Blinks. They're these little hex-shaped blocks that have a, a light in them and also like a little touch button on top. And what they're, they're magnetized where you can click them together and they communicate with each other. Well, each one of these little clicks has a game embedded in it, some sort of little board game. Could be something like a simple, like a whack-a-mole or an area control game or a little puzzle game or a racing game. And the core set comes with like six of these things. And you power them all up by pressing the top of them and they all power up and they have these nice blinky little lights. And you depress the one that you want to play separately for like six or seven seconds and it starts spinning blue Connect it to the other ones. And what it does, it creates a serial communication and starts downloading its program to all the other blocks that are connected to it. And once it's done, they're ready to play that particular game. Now, there's a rule book that tells you, you know, for this game, you want the blocks configured a certain way or set this certain way, etc. And then you start playing the game and it's, it's done by... Typically disconnecting a block and reconnecting reconnecting it to to trigger something like the puzzle game. You're trying to get all the colors aligned together. That's a little fun little single player game. Or it could be interacting with it by pressing the button on top. 
but there's a lot of different mechanics that you can do with these games and it, it's a really, really cool concept. It's one of those things I haven't seen a lot of, but it's it's not a prototype because you can go out there and buy it right now from move38.com. But it's one of those things, it's like it really opens up the design space of like, wow, uh, you know, okay, this is a first iteration of this. Let's continue it and do some other really cool things with it. But it's like a little expandable electronic board game. And when you turned it over to me and I got to play Whack-A-Mole, I don't know why that was so satisfying. There was just something about me sitting there trying to hit the buttons as quick as I could. And uh, it was just fun. It was quick. It was, you know, five minutes. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, I don't know which was more enjoyable, watching you trying to figure out how to program them or playing (laughs) whack-a-mole. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so a couple of times i couldn't i don't know whether i was having an issue with programming or it wasn't just communicating i'll try to get one to program mode and it wouldn't fully communicate to one that was off to the side because like i said it blinks a certain color when it's programmed and ready to go yeah so i was kind of fotsing with that but they have the core set which i said like comes with six games they have an expansion set which has another six games but there's also dev kits tony you can go again to their website at move38.com and they have blanks. And what you can do is they have a dev kit where you can program your own game. And then basically you could sell that individual blank or maybe, you know, who knows? I don't know if they wouldn't want to buy it or whatever. And then once you do that, you just give that blink to somebody. And if they already have a lot of blinks, they can connect them all and then play that game that you just programmed. So it's, it's again, it's a really cool concept where it's like, here's what you can do with it. Now, if you're a developer, go play with it and make some cool stuff. Now, there were six of these blinks, correct? Yes. I'm watching my $5 figures. I wonder if more than six could be connected eventually. Yes. They can? Yes. Okay. So with the expandable, which I didn't open up and show you, some of those require 12 blinks. Oh, okay. So some games will tell you how many is required. So Because they knew if you had the core, they knew you had the core when you bought the expansion. They said, well, this one requires eight or 10 or 12. And then you have to put those all together. And I see on their website that you some people have program games and they're selling me individually on the website individual blink is like 20 bucks with the game on it the core set is 100 which i know sounds like a lot it is a lot but you know you get those six base games and then you kind of go from there but again i do think it's cool there's a whole developer's kit that you can come up with some really cool on this and who knows you might be able to prototype something say you want to use this system to prototype what would eventually be an analog game but you could use these blinks and or let's say it's like an area control game where you mm-hmm. wanted to set the colors to be a certain way. And they when they connect a certain way, it'll generate certain points or something. It'd be like a cool design tool without physically printing out product. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm just coming up with ideas here. It could be used. You could take them into a school. I mean, schools could go out and purchase them, teach them programming skills. Oh, my gosh. That's a great idea. Oh, man. Kids will love that to buy them one blink and they say, here's a dev kit. Go learn how to program this thing. Yeah, that's cool. Then have competitions be like kind of like robot class or something along those lines. Oh, configure a, a blink to connect to the robot in the robot. Uh, yes, I'm out of school, whatever. Uh, they have all the <laughs> they have all the cool toys now. Yeah. So that's move38.com. They sent us a sample of these blanks. It's cool. It's one of those things you throw in your bag. And maybe while I'm waiting on Tony, I play whack-a-mole or play the puzzle game or something like that. And then when I'm done, I just uh, kind of put it away. And that's it. Easy to set up. You can change the batteries. You, we discussed that. Mm-hmm. If you can figure out where the slot was, that was also fun trying to challenge you on. Uh, hey, anything to keep you entertained while I'm trying to make it over to Jason's Deli. <laughs> Are you here yet? No, I got held up by traffic. Ah. Oh. I guess I'll get more ice cream. Now, I did need to get some safety glasses the other day. Uh-oh. For what? Well, we received our crokinole boards. Yes. You and I. 
So I went outside with my new crocodile board and I put it down on the table in front of Donna and she goes, what is this? Oh, that is a beast of a board too. We got it from Kickstarter from Mayday Games. We backed it like a couple months ago and we've already got it. And I go, all right, so first off, let me explain why. Because there's always justification behind something. <laughs> why? <laughs> it's not. Let me teach you a game. The first thing is, why? Why is this here? Let me explain why this exists. <laughs> Let me explain why I have this, okay? And I said, this is a fun little game. And I, sh- you know, I told her, here, just read this paragraph of rules. And you'll be okay. And you'll know how to play. I won't even have mm-hmm. to explain it to you while I figure out how to put the little pegs in so that we're ready to go. The first few shots that she did, she didn't realize how quickly those little discs will fly across that board. Mm-hmm. That board is waxed. That board's fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> those little discs hit those pegs and they come flying off that board at your face. You're like, whoa. <laughs> and we were playing strict rules. You have to keep one cheek in the chair. Yes. Oh, we play, I told taught Adam how to play. And I said, I said, the rule is... You can shoot anywhere from here to here, but one cheek must be touching the chair at the entire the entire time. And went, are you serious? And went, oh yeah, because otherwise you can get around, just move around the table all you want. And that's the friendly version, getting up and moving around. Yes. No, we play hardcore. You played hardcore. You played the advanced set rules. <laughs> that's that's right. So, have you ever played before? No, I've never played before. So I there was, I don't think there's a watch it played video on it. Doesn't need to be. Well, there there was some confusion. Oh. One of the rules state, you know, what is a valid shot? Yes. A valid shot, if there are no opposing discs, it must be into the center ring. Yes. The other valid shot is that you must touch an opposing disc. An opposing disc must have moved with your shot. Yes. So however it moves, it must move after you shoot your disc. However it happens. If you fail to touch one, then that disc is removed. Correct. Or any of your discs that moved during that time. Correct. There you go. Oh, Adam did not like that rule. He's like, excuse me? I went, I'm sorry, dude. He, he tried to do a combo shot and missed mine altogether and lost like three discs. Mm-hmm. Yep, get rid of them. So this is a stupid rule. <laughs> so no, it's a cool rule. I love it. She had a blast playing it. She enjoyed it. However, she needs some practice. She did beat me. We played uh, three games. And she beat me one of the games. One of the games was not very fair. She she goes, these pegs are stupid. They're in my way. I'm like, well, yeah, they are. And we were just having fun with it. And she was getting kind of frustrated because it didn't matter. Every time I would flick one, I would send hers to the ditch. Yeah, you're supposed to do that. Well, she's like, why don't you miss? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm getting lucky. And Oh, and which one is your... um, finger that you use because there's that's that's a rule which you got to use which either the middle or your index 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 okay because that's important you gotta you gotta practice you gotta get that skill set well here's the thing is and people may not like this i do not tuck the finger under my thumb that's against the rules i put it with the thumb there and flick from my thumb no but i don't well too bad too bad it's in the rules that's how i'll do it it doesn't matter it's in the rules you are in violation of the crokinole rules well, let me tell you, when I played at, at uh, RobCon last year, everybody else was doing it, so I was doing it too. Uh, obviously, we need a Watch It Played video on this. I want to see him flip the board. Well, see, that's so dumb. I mean, I can make it look like it's tucked, and it's not really. I can just have it touching and just slide right off as if 
it's it's done. It's the spirit of the rule. You've got to put a little tension on that finger. I'll give you some tension with this finger right I, here. I hear you will. And that's <laughs> but but that's part of the game. That's part of the if you're gonna play by the rules, if you're gonna put a cheek on a chair, you need to play I gotta tuck the finger. So you're doing middle finger tuck? No, I'm index finger tuck. Well see, I could even do that to the side. It looks like there's tension, but there's really not. I could fake oh, that all day long. So you cheat. <laughs> That's what I was saying. What does it matter then? Okay. You know what? Never mind, because there are going to be people who've been clearing croaking off for years that's going to say I'm wrong. I'll admit I'm probably wrong. Okay. So I probably need to go learn the correct way. I just now got my board. So before I get used to doing it one particular way, I'll go and do it correctly. And we are very excited to have people come over and social distance this. We'll have someone step up to the board, do their shot, then they step back. And then so I'm like, oh. At our Bubaku event, there will be a Crokinol tournament. It'll just be you and me at Bubaku. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> no. But let me tell you what, isn't that board gorgeous? Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Mayday did a great job. They look fantastic. I wish they still would have had the option to get the clock in the middle because I would have bought that and mm -hmm. hung it on the wall. Uh, I'm, mine's fine. It slid underneath one of the beds here. I just got to remember that it's there. <laughs> no, I put mine in the basement. It's You're not supposed to put it at an angle, but I got it almost flush with the wall. So it's sitting kind of straight up against on top of one of the bookshelves and it looks good down there. So yeah, Crokinole. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Enjoyed that a lot. I, I knew I would. It was just taking that initiative and putting the money down on a board. That's one of those keepsake things. Yeah, my, my family really, uh, really enjoyed it. Hey, there's another game that uh, you and I played separately too that we just got recently. And that's a portal just came out with their new detective season one game. I played a game with uh, Vanessa and you had a chance to check it out. And to me, Tony, I think this game is as promised. It has the spirit of detective, but the rules are a little bit easier to grasp and it plays in a much shorter time. I played a game in, in 90 minutes. No problem as com as compared to like two to three hours with the full version of Detective. So I would agree with that statement because when I first... I, it's been so long since I've played Detective because I think you've played it uh, recently in, in less than a year. Yes. Because didn't you all take it up to the mountains and play yes. it or something? Okay. Yeah, I got Dig Deeper from Rob Davio. So I haven't played in a while and I had forgotten. I was like, I just remember having to track the car put all the information in the database. And you know me, I am that text loving kind of guy. That is sarcasm. He does not like the flavor text. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that's bad, but for this game, I'll read the flavor text. I'll try, I'll get into it. But mm -hmm. I agree with you. The rules are simpler. I was like, oh, I've got to, I just know that I got to move here, count some time. And in the full game, uh, it was based on days. Mm -hmm. There was a number of days you had a number of hours in a day. Days doesn't exist in this. It's just you have an X amount of hours. Right. And the scenario will tell you you have to solve this in so many hours. And basically when you move or take an action or something that says it spends this many hours, when you have no hours left, well, it's time to make a guess. So it's very streamlined in that case. Also in the full game, if you, in case you don't remember, uh, everybody has special player abilities. Mm -hmm. In this, nobody has any special player abilities. There's also these special tokens that you can use, a special resource. There were different ones in the full game. This one just has one type that you can use. So again, it's one of those things, if this is for the family, and this game is $29.99, $19.99 on Miniature Market. Hold on, that's a $5 potential check in case I'm wrong. What, the cost? No. Cost yeah. doesn't matter. That's gray matter. 
because the the cost can adjust. It was this cost, and then it was. Are you so you're saying that would be gray matter? That's gray matter right there. Gray matter, not not like your brain. You say it's a gray area. No, it's gray matter. (laughs) Okay, yeah, it's thirty. It's thirty bucks uh, MSRP, twenty one dollars at miniature market. So it comes with three cases. The cases are not replayable. But you're talking again for thirty bucks. That's you know hour and a half for ten dollars. You know, an exit game that you, it costs 20 bucks MSRP. Mm-hmm. That's a one-time play. So it's very comparable. Like, but if, then if you get it for $21, which is a great deal, it's three cases. And it gets a good family game. It's small. It's light. Easy to set up. Just kind of have to learn how to use the database. But uh, it is a good, good version of Detective if you just want to kind of get in and out and play a game. And it's not a campaign, too, which is nice. So it's not one of those things you got to dedicate a group to play 10 to 15 hours to get through a case. Instead, it's 90 minutes and you're done. This is a great way to introduce you. Say, do you want to take it to the next level? Right. I mean, the case I was on was 22 hours long. And I was like, 22 hours? Where's nap time? There's got to be a nap. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and by the way, uh, Ignacy did drop that uh, there is an Easter egg for us in one of these cases. Yeah, you told me that, and I don't know if we'll if I'll find it. So I did case two, and I think it may be in case two. I didn't catch it till he said it, and I went, wait a minute. There was a reference to something in case two, and I thought, I wonder if that was it. So I'm going to have to get the game back from you. I'm going to go back and read case two again and see if I remember it uh, correctly. So I thought that was kind of cool. So yeah, Detective Season 1 coming out now. It's on pre-order right now on uh, Miniature Market. It'll be out. It's any day now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to commit a date and have to pay $5. (laughs) The game's coming out. Go check it out. Y'all, we're not going to tell you anything anymore for the fear of having to pay up. I don't know. Why. Maybe this wasn't a good idea. You've committed us to something. Maybe what it should have been is not committed us to us, but just do it out of the goodness of your heart. Oh, you were right. So for thank you for correcting us, here's $5. <laughs> but now it's going to be like people are actually going to pay attention to what we're saying, which is unusual. <laughs> I'm sorry. Think about this. They're not going to do a good job cutting their lawn because they're having to pay attention to us and jot down notes while they're riding their mower. They're going to have to get a pad on their mower so that they can jot notes down and say, oh, they made a mistake here or, oh, I need to fact check them here instead of just mindlessly hear this noise drowning out the mower engine as they mow down the, uh, down the strip, you know? The strip being the strip of the lawn. Yeah. So the Portal website, which is portalgamesus.com, says shipping is supposed to be uh, mid to late August. So yeah, it's going to be coming out any time now. That's portalgamesus.com. <laughs> I don't know if that really counts as a, as a commercial or not. Oh, now, a lot of things have been coming out on the iPad. A lot of, um, oh, what are those things called? Oh, rolling rights. That's what they're called. Cartographers just came out. Yep. Still playing Imperial Settlers on it. I saw Suzanne posted in a tweet today of some of her favorites, and I need to go find Fleet, the dice game, because I never got to play the physical version of that, and everybody says it's really good. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have hex rollers on mine yet, so my little iPad is getting full of rolling rights. You got us a chance to play another one that's coming out called Roman Roll. I was excited about this. This is from uh, PSC Games, who typically makes, you know, like war games. And uh, so they said, hey, would you want to check out this Roman Roll? And I went, yes, I would, because I, it's supposed to be like a heavy rolling right. You know, typically your rolling rights are a pretty light standard fare, right? And it was like, well, here's one that's going to be a little more thinky, and it's supposed to be, uh, mimic a Civ style game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm into Civ style games too. And it's designed by Nick Shaw and David Turtsey, who you know makes a lot of those games, the heavier games, like a lot some of the T games mm-hmm. we're talking about, Tekkenu, etc. From um, Board and Dice. So I thought, yeah, yeah, let, let's check this thing out. And sure enough, Tony. This game plays a lot like a Civ game. you got a map of Rome in the middle of the table. At the beginning of the game, you have a, a certain number of buildings that will come out, which is a variable every game. Uh, different buildings will come out. And uh, to make these buildings, you have to have a certain number of resources or amount of resources. And then when you spend those resources, it has a shape that it needs to be drawn onto the grid. And everybody has a different color marker, and you draw it onto the city as a a building that's there available for you to use, for people to travel through, and you get some abilities by being able to build those buildings. When you build those buildings besides somebody else, other people may gain benefits by having a building built next to them. So it has kind of that, to me, it has that kind of like Terra Mystica feel. You know, when you build beside somebody else, the other person gets something, same sort of thing here too. Okay, I'm going to trust you on that. You know, Terra Mystica is one of my top games. Yeah, well, trust me, that's that's what happens. Okay. And there's multiple resources that check. There's multiple paths of victory. You can win by economy. You can win by military. So again, in good Civ style game. And for what he was trying to go for, I think Roman Roll does feel like a Civ style game. So you say that, and I'm trying to think of a Civ game that I've played, and nothing came rushing back to me. And that's what I was sitting there waiting. Well, because you haven't played a lot of the heavier ones through the ages. Nope. Did you ever play Clash of Cultures? No. Nations? No. But you played Nations of the Dice game. Yes. I think you told yeah, I think you let me play that one. Yeah, I love that game, by the way. Did you ever play Civ games on the PC? I tried to. Okay. <laughs> well, the thing is, is you're trying to build up a civilization. There's multiple paths of victory. You could focus on, you know, economy or diplomacy, military, etc. Just whichever path you want to go. So I guess on my side of it is I've never played a Civ game. So what did okay. it feel like to me? It felt like Tetris with drive de- with uh, dice drafting. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because the dice is when you roll the dice, that's what gives you the actions that are available to you, plus the resources that you collect to spend. Absolutely. So I didn't know about the economy or the military or anything like that. I just knew that I wanted buildings that would generate certain aspects for me on my player board that I can mark off and later score points on. That's what it was for me. Well, that's and that's fair. And everybody had a different player board and they all have different abilities, which mm-hmm. I, I like too. I do really like that. The, of all the civilizations, you, everybody has different aspects that they can trigger. So some may be focused on military, like mine was focused on economy. So I saw quickly, I thought, well, if I go up my kind of a tech tree, uh, then I'll be able to generate a lot more money and use that money to get victory points. Because as you collect victory points and military strength, at certain levels, you're earning victory points. At the end of the game, you're going to add all those victory points up to see who who won. And uh, like you said, it's a dice drafting game, which I like. Mm-hmm. Somebody rolls all the dice. I pick a die, then you pick a die, etc. Like I said, the die has may have stone on it or wood on it. 
It may have an icon that shows you can take a certain ability like build or you can go out and conquer. But I guess part of the learning curve is learning what each of those abilities do and how they work. And the fact that taking that ability may trigger something for somebody else, right? So like when I go out into the, the regions after they're conquered around Rome, those regions provide resources. And it may be one of those things when I trigger to get resources, anybody that's built roads and everything out in that area gets to also collect resources. So that would have cost you $5, but that's okay. Okay, what did I mess up? What did I mess up? So it wasn't so much the build. If if someone had conquered in that region and roads connected, then they would get them. Yes, okay. So you got to first conquer the area, then you have to build the roads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then whenever the you do areas. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but for a guy who's not done the sieve, on my side of this from a roll and write, I'm looking at it like, how do I get my combos? Mm. Kalsa and, and Ganshan and all the other ones, you're like, okay, I need to build this up, which will trigger this, which will trigger that. And I was not seeing that because I was not relating to, from the tech tree of my leader. I wasn't right. marking that very well, not realizing that's where my combos were. I was used in concentrating on the bar, bottom part of the board where I can mark off the senators and the military. Oh, in a dice game or a rolling right, you're always looking for that ability to re-roll or create a situation where you can correct a bad roll or something that you didn't get. Mm-hmm. So I missed that aspect of the game when we when we were playing it. And the only other really knock I have of this game, and it's it's really petty, but it was, okay, my marker's blue, Marty's was black, Bert's was red. I would go over there to mark on something, and I would smudge your building. Oh, yeah. wait a minute, which one was that? And then I'd have to write initials on it. Well, Marty was trying to write upside down. Is that a TW? What is that? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, because after you draw the outline of the building, you're supposed to mark what kind of building it is so you can quickly see. And again, the buildings are important. Maybe there was one that had to do like, was it like stone quarry or something where the more of them you put together, the more stone that they produce. Uh, You had building restrictions. There were different hills on the map for Rome. And when you build a building, it had to be on a, maybe completely on a hill or straddling a hill in the plains Mm -hmm. below. It had to be touching another building. And again, like I said, if you did adjacency to another building that would trigger different um, production potentially between the buildings and everything. So there's, it's important of where you place the buildings. It's important what buildings you build. Again, multiple paths to victory. To me, Tony, I agree. These were the thick markers. I wish they were the fine point markers because they did kind of smudge and it was hard to read when you're kind of write small initials. And uh, we played with Burton. He said this and I agree. It really didn't have to be a roll and write. They really could have provided little buildings of those shapes mm-hmm. and just say, here, when you build, put that on there. And instead of tracking on your board, it very easily could have been like little cubes you put on the board to show how many resources you've got and everything. There's nothing about this that needed to be a roll and write. I guess the nice thing about it being a roll and write is you get it to the table and you start playing immediately without having to sort mm-hmm. pieces and all that stuff too. So that's the cool aspect. It's like, oh, it's a roll and write. Well, well in theory, this could have been a full-blown board game. But they condensed it to a rolling right, so the idea is it's in a small box, you can play it quickly and get the feel of a Civ game. And the only reason why I bring that up from my side is that you need to be aware of that. That could be something that when you're starting to play this, because you're right, it could be these little pieces of, every, of individual colors that you could place down, the Tetris pieces down on the board so that people would know what it was. You'd still have to figure out a way to mark what type of building it is because certain buildings use the same pattern. So you had to deal with that. It decreased the production costs, achieved the feel of a civilization game. I trust you on that. 
along with some really cool chunky dice. Yeah, yeah, the, the dice really were cool. Again, so if you like uh, chunking dice, dice drafting, I always like that. I do like the sieve field. Every time you play, you're going to have different buildings out that could be built, different combinations of buildings. You can always play a different leader, which gives you different abilities. They have expansions with different leaders and everything like that. There's a lot in this game. Uh, it's on pre-order right now at uh, Miniature Market for only 36 bucks. So again, I think there's a lot of a game in that little box. Uh, but you do have to realize that it is a, it, you will be doing a lot of writing and everything. So be careful not to smudge the board and everything like that. And you kind of have to keep track of what the actions do, how they work with one another, how they trigger different things. But again, once you get all that down, it's one of those things. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, I think this is something you might want to check out. Again, the designer is well-known, well-loved from PSC games. That's going to be uh, that's going to be Roman Roll. I had fun, man. I I would love to play a full Civ game with you sometime. I haven't played a lot of full Civ games either. I've got through the ages downstairs ready to go to play sometime and ne- never done it. Do you really want to? Yes, I do. I want That's a game I want to experience. I want to experience as many different types of games I've never experienced before. That's one of them. 18XX, another one. But with me, are you sure? The older I get. <sighs> There's nobody else coming to Jason's, Tony. You're the only one I get to play with. And Bert. And Bert. Sorry. And Bert. Yeah. You and Bert are the only ones that come. Now, we might not have enough time to get through the ages <laughs> at Jason's Deli. So as all other podcasts go, we tell you about what we just played. So that was Blinks, Detective Season 1, Roman Roll, Crokinol, and you can pick up most of these games over at miniaturemarket.com. That's right, people. I'm going straight into the commercial. You didn't even see that coming. Marty normally well, they, play. Wait. Well, they heard the music or did they not hear the music? I don't know. Did you play the music? I'll have to hear it in post-editing. <laughs> there may be music playing. There may not be. <laughs> but this is the miniaturemarket.com spot right now. <laughs> now, Mayday, Crokinhole, I don't think you can pick up a Crokinhole over at miniaturemarket.com, but I'm sure Marty's already mentioned that you can go over there and get all these other games at great prices. Be sure to get that post Gen Con experience. You know where you go out and you have to buy all these games because you heard about them at Gen Con, which you didn't get to hear about because Gen, Gen Con wasn't held. The games Gen are still, John. Gen, Gen John. That's it's, not five dollars. See, no, that doesn't count. No, that's not. That's over at miniaturemarket.com where you can pick up all these games that are still coming out regardless of what virus is going on. Be sure to check it out. <laughs> The flu's coming. The flu's coming. No, that should be their new tagline. Regardless of what virus is coming out, you can get the game here. I need to go over there and do some pre-ordering anyway. All right. So miniaturemarket.com. So recently at our Jason's Deli get together, Marty and I broke out a game that many of you have heard him talk about. Matter of fact, when we talked about the games that upset Tony or make me grumpy, Marty said this one game really upsets him, and that is Small World. So we got to play Small World of Warcraft from Fantasy Flight Games. Is it from Fantasy Flight? No, it's from Days of Wonder. That'd have been five. Good catch. Good catch. See, we just had somebody put their mower in the pond. <laughs> because they were saying, oh, oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. I, I just got, got five dollars. Text them. Text them. Oh, that's funny. Maybe that's what we should do. <laughs> we should drop bad things and then go pause and then quickly credit. Uh, correct oh, it. Oh, that's so funny. As they're typing, it's like, dang, y'all. 
Oh, you caught yourselves. So small world of Warcraft. And for Marty, it was like, ah, this game, mm, am I going to like it? Is there enough Warcraft in there to really bring me back to the small world? I will say this, Marty, this game is beautiful. Artwork is oh beautiful. They kept, the, they kept that artwork. They, they made me feel like I was back into the Warcraft world. I got to see the trolls. I got to see the cows, which are Torin. Of course, I got to see my orcs, and I got to see Azeroth. Is that correct? Azeroth, you're talking about the, mm-hmm. the region, the area? Yeah. The yeah. So you got three boards. Well, I guess it depends on the number of people that are playing. Right. Uh, but uh, you got different maps, which is different. So you got mm-hmm. small, medium, and large. Depending on the player count, you're going to put out these small, medium, or large, basically islands. You know, Small World is originally uh, just, just one board. So that's one of the differences. That's, we're going to really point out some of the differences. Yeah, let's, let's concentrate on differences and not really talk about how to play. So let's just talk about difference. Well, can I give my history first of my issues with Small World? Sure. So Small World is one of the very first area control games that I started playing or I ever tried when we first started playing board games. So I was not used to this kind of take that head-to-head, beating each other down types of games where the other people I have played with were. And Small World can be brutal, right? You mm-hmm. feel like you're doing something good, and all of a sudden somebody just comes and wipes out everybody, and it feel like you got to start over again. And it was just left a bad taste in my mouth, even the multiple times I played. Now, that was almost 10 years ago. So it left such a bad taste. I'm like, I never want to play Small World again. That's why I was excited to play this. It's like I've matured, hopefully as a gamer, for sure physically, not mentally, that would have been five dollars. Yes, it would have been. And so I want to go back and visit Small World again. I love World of Warcraft, so I thought this is the perfect way to revisit it. So we got it out. I kind of relearned the rules. I actually did go watch Rodney's Watch It Played Small World video so I could compare the differences between the two. And I forgot really, Tony, how easy this game was. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cool thing is you draft one of the races, they have special abilities, and then on your turn, you try to take your tokens and try to take over areas. And then you you score victory points based on the number of areas you have. You can wipe out other people. They can wipe you out. And it's a, it's a push and pull of races going in and out of decline and putting new races on the board till the game is over. Count up victory points at the end of your turn and Keep going, keep rolling. I mean, as long as you got more cardboard than what's showing on that board, you can take that land over. And if you don't, at the end of your turn, you can try to push your luck and roll a die, which made Marty have a lot of fun. That I maybe that's one of the things I had forgotten I dislike about Small World. It's a very deterministic game, right? So when you go into an area, you need to have the number of cardboard pieces that's in the existing area in order to take it over. I remember Bert said that was the way he remembered it. However, one of the differences of Warcraft is they have these uh, artifacts and legendary legendary places tokens that are on the board uh, that when you go in there, those don't count as having to defeat them. But if you go into an area and flip them over, you can take advantage of their abilities. So that was unique and cool. And that was very Warcraft theme. But anyway, so it's very deterministic. Well, I've got this number of tokens to play. I know I can take over that region, that region, that region. It's like, oh, man, I am like one token short to take over this one. So the rules state, well, you could try it. Roll a die. You have a 50% chance of rolling blanks. Or the other sides have like a one, two, or three counted extra tiles on that die. I swear, Tony, the entire night I would roll blank, blank, blank. You and Bert were three, three, three. And it was irritating the snot out of me. I'm sorry. That's just how we roll. But see, it's so strategic till that last time. And here's why it's a big deal. So in our game, Tony, 
you lost by one point. It mm-hmm. was 99 to 98. Now think about this. If one of your roles had been successful against Burt, you would have taken away a point from him and given it to yourself, two-point differential, you win the game. I mean, at that point, it could have come down to a bad die roll. Because at the end of your turn, you count the number of victory points. If you'd have taken over that area, you would have had a victory point. Unless Burt took it over again, he would have lost a victory point from that area. Right. Or it could have been more of a strategic thing outside of the dice where maybe I should have started or landed in this zone and began my plundering to be able to take over, which would have been more strategic than where I started. Maybe I could have used that special ability of, oh, you get to have... Uh, you're the beast master and you get tigers. Well, if I had gone more towards the hills, I would have done that. Or I should have concentrated and taken some of Bert's in decline tokens out, which by the way, is a key strategic thing that you learned in our two player game, which, <laughs> which by the way, two player game, I found to be okay. You got to yeah. have more. You got to have more. It's got to be three or above. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we played two player game to kind of get into it. And, uh, you're right. That there was an island that was most of your guys were in decline. Uh, so when you remember, when you go into decline, you flip them all over and you grab a new race. Well, as long as those decline races are still there, you're still grabbing victory points. So the other person needs to go and clean those out because that's just easy victory points. And I, I was not doing that. One of the differences of the game is we talked about the islands is at any time you can leave your existing island, and travel to another one because the islands have ports around the edges It's just that it cost you three tokens to jump from one island to another. So that was different than the base game. Yes, but once again, you still have to have that more than cardboard. You just can't say, oh, he's got a port is three plus there's a race there of one. You always have to meet those criteria that are part of the game on how to conquer. Yeah, well, it's at least two to go into another area always, except the port when you're jumping from one island to another, then it's three plus any other units that happen to be there. And the the board is pre-populated with Murlocs. And that was from the, uh, they also were pre-populated with whatever they were in, in Small World, but the Murlocs here. And you don't remember the sound of the Murloc? No, play it for me. <laughs> nope, don't remember that one bit. Okay, you play World of Warcraft, right? Yeah, I remember them pounding on the rocks with the axe to get ore. I remember doing that. So you never had to grind the Murloc area in order to... Man, I hated doing quests over there. It's like, hey, the Murlocs happen to have this uh, this jewel. Would you go get it for me? Or, hey, I need 35 of these things from the Murlocs. And you got to go kill like 100 and hope they drop for you. That sound, oh my gosh, I don't see... How it doesn't haunt your dreams. I don't I don't think I ever had to do that with my orc, which I played, um, Orc Warrior. I do remember, th- the most thing I remember from Warcraft is just how in love I was with the initial building of the game or, or the, the, the artwork and the exploration. And then suddenly it became, like all of those games, a grind. And I quickly shut it down. I don't. I forget what level you had to get to to go on raids. I never got there. I never got a key. I never did any of that stuff. And basically, I think after six months, I said, I'm done with this. Anyway, so the game is pre-populated with Murlocs that, uh, that you can uh, take over uh, as you go along. The game comes with 16 different races, 20 powers that are pa- paired randomly each game. You're going to play up to 10 rounds. For two and three players, it's 10 rounds. For anything more than that, you're going to play fewer number of rounds and it goes up to five players. So again, Tony, it's very much small world. It is. If you like small world, do you need to go and get this game? If you like World of Warcraft, I think you do. If you feel like, well, 
I've already got Small World and all the expansions. I don't know that I really need this. Then, then you you might not want it. Now, for me, I will always play this one over the basic Small World because I I like I just like the theme. I like the World of Warcraft. I think it's incredible components. Uh, Days of Wonder always does good stuff. So for me, I I like this version more than the others. And again, let's talk about the differences one more time. Different islands, so different layouts. So you got tile, big tiles laying out on the board. That's different. You've got artifacts in areas that you can go and discover and take and get some special things going on with them. Obviously, some of the races are, are going to be different. And you got the way to jump between the islands. That's that's also different too. And some of the powers are the same as you had in the original um, Small yep. World. So it's it's fairly easy. Barely an inconvenience for you to learn these powers. Now, I will say that for me, I got rid of Small World. My, my daughter loved it. My wife did not like Small World, so I never got to play it. And then we, of course, moved on from that. So would I go out and pick up a Small World of Warcraft game just to have it back in my collection? It's tempting. It's really tempting because it is such an easy game, and it's probably one of those entry-level introduce somebody to area control. There's other area controls like this, like what we say, Ethnos. I mean, there's a lot of area control games I've learned to love over the years, like Inish, Ethnos, which is an easier area, area control, area majority game. I know there's, there's somebody I have as difference between the two. This is to me just a basic, good area control game. Now, remember, I said a few podcasts ago, I never want to play Small World again. I'm glad I went back and revisited it because you know what? It does not give me the same bad taste in my mouth that it did. Now, I do, after playing it a few times, I realize I stink at this game. I'm horrible. You beat me like by 30 points. When I played with Bert, the score was 99, 98, 70 to me. I just stink at it because I don't know when is the best time to go into decline and get a new race, I push my existing race too far instead of just letting it go and grabbing a new one. But the thing is, though, I hate that of when you go into decline, you're basically, your turn's done. Mm-hmm. You're going to decline, and then you don't get to grab another race till your next turn, but that's that's just what you got to do sometimes. It reminds me of, that's one thing about this game, if somebody starts to decline, it's like in NASCAR. If somebody starts pitting, we all pit. That's true. That's what you've got to think about is he just went into decline. If I don't go into decline, he's going to come out with a new race and I will have to go into decline and I'll be a lap behind. Mm-hmm. And will I have enough turns and do I have enough length in this race to help push me to the end of the rounds that I can keep gathering points? Now, if I'm just racking out points on my decline race, then I need to decide, okay, I should just leave because... When you take one race from decline or from active to decline and you already have one, the decline race gets wiped off the board. Yep. That's very important. I'm glad you played it again. Maybe we can get it another, you know, five player and just see how long it takes us to play. Fun little game. Again, I don't have the bad taste in my my mouth anymore from Small World. I'm glad we played it. It's gone. That's no longer the game I would say I would never play again or anything like that. I pre- I really appreciate it for what it is. And I love this version. Again, I, I love everything about, about Warcraft. Some people said, Tony, they had issues trying to learn how the powers work. None of the ones that we ran across, we had trouble figuring out. They have a really good one-player sheet for everybody that explains all the powers and races. I can't remember any that we really struggled over. There was two where we had to go into the book and read through it for the races. Oh, because the uh, the player guides have a little bit shorter description of the race and the rule book did have a little bit longer. Yeah, so you're right. And that is another thing about this game, right? It's like you're constantly looking 
How does that power work? How does that race work? Now you got something new. How does that artifact work? Which is something new in the game too to learn too. So I hope now that Asmodee is working again with Blizzard that this isn't the last Blizzard IP they come out with. Because if at some point in time, I know Corey Konitsk is gone, who designed Star, the original StarCraft game, but oh my gosh, if they came out with StarCraft again, that would be it. I, I could retire as a board gamer, and that's just my last game right there. Now, what you would enjoy is a StarCraft Civ game instead of a 4X game like we've played. Not really a Civ game. Why not? You, you're collecting gems, you're collecting gas, collecting minerals. You're yeah, but there's up. no there's no diplomacy or anything like. There's no multiple. I mean, it's pretty much all combat. It's all military in that game. You just fight and wipe somebody else off the board. Yeah, it has tech trees. I mean, Civ Civ games have tech trees, but then so does R. You know, RTSs also have tech trees too, which is what that's mimicking. I'm just going to let you keep talking and see if you can make my point for me. I will not make that point. I do not think StarCraft should be a Civ game. You don't think you should be building up the civilization? You could, but that's not StarCraft the video game. I'm not making StarCraft the video game. I'm making StarCraft the board game. StarCraft the Civ game. Okay, but to me, StarCraft brings up connotations of what the video game is, and the video game is not a civilization game. What? I'm, I'm sitting there building um, siege tanks. Okay, are they are they doing diplomacy with one another? Are they sharing trade routes, creating trade routes to share with other players and everything like that? I'm hmm. clearing the fog of war. Am I not opening up the trade route between this base you and that base? You are so far off base that if I wasn't correcting this, we'd be paying $5 at the butt right now, left and right. I'm not, there's no correcting to this. This is just an opinion. Opinions do not count towards corrections. Okay, look, Small World of Warcraft, I like the name of it. It's not Small World World of Warcraft. It's Small World of Warcraft from Days of Wonders coming out soon. The designers, Philippe Kiart. Again, that's not $5, remember, uh, for mispronunciation. If you already have all the small worlds, you, do you want to? You might want to ask the collection if you're a completionist. Aside from the few differences, you may say, "Well, I've already got these others. I don't need these." If it's your first jump into small worlds, I highly recommend this one. I think this is a good jumping in point if you've never played Small World. If you like World of Warcraft, you definitely got to add this to your collection because there's not that many games based in the War, World of Warcraft area now. So I'm so glad I got to play this again because now I no longer have a negative attitude toward this game. We just talked about Small World of Warcraft, but did you know that if you have Small World and all those expansions that the Broken Token has a Small World Organizer called Small Realm Organizer, and they have different versions. They have the full crate upgrade, which is, and they have the golden bundle, which has everything included. They just have the bits and pieces that you include in the box. It can hold all the expansions plus the core game. Ooh, I didn't realize there were this many expansions. Oh, yeah, there's Small a world. Oh, oh, yeah. There are a lot of expansions, but Broken Token has a good place to store those for you. They're organized. You can pull them out. You have all the races together. You have the powers. You have the little unit tokens and everything. You have a place for the maps and the boards and everything. Oh, what a good looking organizer. Again, you can get these small just for the basic organizer, just for the core maybe a couple expansions or the full golden bundle which has everything to find out more head over to thebrokentoken.com
Now, if I'm remembering correctly, Tony, over the past couple of years, your board game of the year have gone to Lorenzo El Magnifico and Coimbra. Yes, and uh, Raccoon Tycoon. And Raccoon Tycoon. But you have included Lorenzo El Magnifico. We loved Lorenzo El Magnifico. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't do it right. Don't do it, Lorenzo please. Oh, God. There, I had to do it. Um, I would be $5 if I didn't. It's not nothing wrong. What? Uh, we'll pay you $5 if we're not obnoxious. <laughs> and then Coimbra, which was a dice drafting game, which we just absolutely fell in love with. So when Plan B Games and Eckert Spill said, oh my gosh, guys, new game from those same designers, Alma Mater. What do you think? I went, we are so interested. So in this game, Tony, you love flavor text and every Euro's got good flavor text, right? It's the dawn of the new age in Europe during the early 15th century and universities are being established. And little did the founders of these institutions know that they would ignite academic pursuits. In the early Renaissance, players will serve as chancellors of an emergency university. Your obvious goal was to get the most victory points, but to become the most successful and prestigious institution you do this by attracting students getting the best teaching staff and doing some in, in research tony as it says right here in the rules enjoy the upcoming semester unless you have to do everything online because you know they were suffering some from some sort of plague back then mm -hmm. the black plague yes <laughs> when they had the black plague do you think they had to they had cancel classes and had to do it online there's no one in the classes because the Black Plague wiped everybody out. Oh, okay, okay. All right, Tony, what'd you think, man? Alma mater. So first off, you said flavor text. There is no flavor text. There's only flavor text because you read the first page of the introduction. Other than that, there is no flavor text here. Fair. Plain and simple, get victory points by building an engine over X amount of rounds. Wow. Make it happen. That's the game. Plain and simple. Wow. That, that should make this game just move off the shelves. No, what makes this game move off the shelves is the currency in this game mm. and, and how it is set by the players themselves, how you achieve certain objectives, how you can bribe the professors, how you can bribe. Ex You're not bribing the professor. Yeah, you are. You're giving them books. Yeah. So you're trying to get professors and students to come to your college, to your prestigious university, and you're doing that by providing certain books. And on the board, you're going to have students laid out on the board and teachers or professors laid out on the boards. And each of these costs a different combination of books. And like you said, Tom, this is what's cool. Everybody's responsible for one of those types of currencies. It's different colors. There's red books and blue books and green books, etc. You are responsible for one color of that currency. And you actually set up a little shop on your board that other players can come to and buy those colored books from you because they're going to need it to pay some of the costs of these things they want to get, like students and professors. So you set up a bookstore. Mm -hmm. That's a novel thing to have at a university, a bookstore. There were no T-shirts to sell. There were not. In order to get students, their cost is defined at the top of the column. This column, you need books in, that are in the first section of the library. The next cost for the student is in the next section of the library. Oh, and then the final cost can be any of them. But none of the costs can be the same books. They have yeah, to be that's, different. That's variable across all these students, right? Basically, right. There's, the, there's these columns, like you said, the top of each column has a certain cost. But what's interesting is how those those levels, you call them levels in the library of how those books are placed in there. That's based on the research track. 
Mm-hmm. Whoever has done the most research on the research track, their book goes in the number one slot at the top of the board. Whoever second goes in the number two slot. We played three player and third goes in the third, obviously. And then, like you said, some of those students are going to require where well, you got to have one book from level one, one book from level two, any from level three. Oh, you're going to need two from level one, one from level two. You're going to need an encyclopedia, which is a total different resource that none of us generate, but you can go out and buy, which is a yellow book. And which are located in a different area of the board where you may place your magistrates. Is that what the little meeples are called? Our little workers are called? Yeah, I'm going to call them workers because really this was a worker placement. That's all it is. You start with four workers at the beginning of the game. You place a worker on the board, maybe to recruit a professor, maybe to get a student, maybe to do research, maybe to get some uh, encyclopedias, maybe to get money. Maybe you're going to need some money too. Yeah. Now the professors, on the other hand, in order to get them to come to your university to help teach, and and when you get a student or when you get a professor, you're building the engine. They have the engine building mechanics on them. Mm-hmm. Go do this, then you get to go convert these books into points, or you get to go up on the research track. It's an engine. We are all very familiar with that type of structure to a game. But right. what's unique about bringing the professors in is the first person there to recruit the professor gets to determine which books are most needed because one professor may need three of one color, two of another color, one of uh, the final color. Mm -hmm. And that person gets to set that and they are therefore setting the currency or what books can be the most valuable. And if people are not careful, then they can really control, well, all my books are the most important. So it's important for people to pay attention to how the professors are drafting if they're if that's going to be part of their engine. There is this constant give and take with those books that I at first thought, oh, that's nothing. It was, to me, the core of this game, Marty. Oh, yeah, 100%. And like you said, when you go and set the price for the professor, the first person that goes there, there's a certain amount of gold that you must pay. But then, like you said, once you do that, you dictate what number of each book that you need. And if you're smart, you'll make yours the most valuable because then people have to come to you if they want to copy that professor. So that's, there's some variability, right? There's different professors every game. Uh, the, there are the same students every game. That does stay the same, but the uh, the professors are different. But then when if you make your books the most valuable, on your turn, Tony, you go, well, shoot, I got to place my worker here so I can go to Marty's shop and buy some books that he has available. And by doing that, you're giving me gold. Mm -hmm. And gold is a very important currency in this game too. Yes. However, if Marty doesn't have any books for sale, you may be thinking, well, then what good is this? Well, there's a spot that can handle that for you. Yeah. You can just buy any book that you want, but it's more expensive. It's always probably going to be cheaper to get it from the player themselves. But then the player has got to keep their shop inventory full. Right. So they've got to go out and get their own books. And when they get books, they can decide, well, I'm going to put these in my display window and make them available to others. You could use them for paying for stuff yourself, or you take your own color of book and put them in the, in the shop window and hope that other, people's buy, other people buy them from you. Yeah. So the give and take of this game is, okay, I need the currency, so I need to make my books available. So I need to have those books worth something to some people. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've got to do that because I need the money. I also need the books. But in order for me to produce the books, I need the money. Oh, my heavens. I've got to (laughs) I got to manage this. I got to figure out how to do this because you cannot. People are probably be sitting there saying, well, I could just shaft anybody not putting books in my window. You could, but you're not going to make money. 
you want to do that. Mm -hmm. There is no reason not to have books available because gold is, we found is hard to come by at some, at some point in time. Unless you have a good way to generate gold through an engine or something, but uh, you're going to need to do that. So some, you know, as you get students, uh, you're going to start filling up your little student hall. There's two rows of students, rows A and B. And as you add more students, you get to unlock potential things. You need to increase the inventory, the amount of books that you can hold. You start out with a certain amount. And as you add more students, you're, you can hold more books from turn to turn, which is important. There's in-game objectives, which are vary every game. And if you achieve a certain objective, then it gives you a bonus that you can use the rest of the game. You can unlock additional workers. And Tony, I found unlocking the workers were tough. Yes. You know, sometimes it's just as easy as going to a location and you get your extra worker. Uh-uh. Here, one of them is, I know that you had to complete a certain objective uh, and the objectives were tough. You may not finish until halfway through the game in order to unlock additional worker. The one was you had to get at least 15 victory points. Sometimes victory points were also a currency because you could spend victory points mm -hmm. or you had to in order to get certain things. Yeah, victory points, you could offset the cost of having to use books. You could say, okay, instead of using a book, I'll use victory points. When we talk about the professors, certain professors let you have in-game scoring. And Marty's already mentioned this. The, uh, the students, there's one column of students that definitely says all the in-game scoring that you may be sitting there thinking, I haven't really set up my engine yet, so which student do I want to try to do? You cannot win this game by doing everything. I'm sorry, you just can't do it. And uh, Tony, that uh, the students that provide the in-game victory conditions are also the most expensive students. They are on the, you know, the, the left column is the cheapest and the far right is the most expensive. And that's where those students come in. But Tony, we also found getting up the research track. Uh, you had to pay certain costs and everything to move up the research track. And as you did, you could unlock certain abilities as you moved up the track. But getting up that track was tough, but it was important because, like I said earlier, that sets the value also of the books because whoever's first on the research gets that first slot at the top. And people are going to need those in order to, to recruit students. But I can offset that by having my books be the most valuable when it comes to drafting the professors. And so that goes back to what you said, man. You can't do it all. Mm -mm. There's multiple paths to victory. You probably got to pick one or two. Okay, I'm going to work on professors. Or I'm going to work on filling up my my student hall with a bunch of different students and get them to work together. And some of those students provide income at the beginning of the round. It has a nice little hand symbol, which mm -hmm. is you know common in a lot of games. So a lot of the students provide gold or a benefit at the beginning of the round. Or it's like, I'm going to focus on research. I'm going to try to get points and everything by going up the research track. Or I'm really going to try to do these objectives because by getting these objectives, it gives me that ability and and uh, it also generate generates points. What I found was interesting, Tony, in the last game that we played, you and Bert were killing it with in-game scoring. He had engine was selling the books. He had somewhere, every time we bought a book from him, well, he got victory points mm -hmm. also. Yeah, that was that was his special ability at the beginning. Yes. Oh, that's right. You draft those at the beginning too. So again, more variability of the game. Do you remember how you got most of your victory points? Do you remember what you used? I was looking at the professors. How could I maximize the professors? What goals did the professors allow me to get with the victory points at the end of the game? I was trying to manipulate that. 
And for me, I was trying to build up the student hall and get those students on the far right-hand side that provided the in-game victory points. And before we scored in-game victory points, I was way behind y'all in points. And I roared back around the victory point track. And do you remember? We finished. So the leader, I think it was the Burt win. I, you came in second, one point behind. I came in third, one point behind you. That's how tight it was. And all three of us, had different paths to get those victory points, which I love about a good Euro. Yes. Now, production, top-notch. The player boards are inset to allow for the sliding of, of pieces. At the bottom of each player board, it walks you through the end of the round. Iconography is so easy. Barely an inconvenience to figure out. Well, well, hold on. I know. Uh, don't even know. Uh-uh. No. In our first game, we were looking up a lot of things and how the iconography worked, didn't we? Yes, but after that first game, we were able to quickly go and grasp okay. it. That's, That's what, fair. That's fair. Okay. Because every first game, you got to look up iconography. How well and how quickly does it come back to you? Because when we played it again, it was like, oh, yeah, this means this. This. What does this mean? Oh, look, it's, it's plain. It's simple. There was one very confusing part to this game. Okay. And that was how to determine player order. For some people, they think player <laughs> order should be measured right to left. For other people, it's left to right. So, you know, sometimes you may want to look up that rule and figure out, so how is player order dictated on this board? So just, just I caution you all on that because we had some confusion there, didn't we, Marty? Uh, yeah, we did. And I forgot to nick you for the area of control from Small World of Warcraft. So, you know, I wrote it in the notes, but I didn't hit you on it. But you remembered the little dig on me. So that's fair. That's good. Okay, so you got to take your shots when you can get them. I <laughs> know, I I totally get that. So Tony, here we go. Let's talk about how you compare this to the other great games that we love from these designers, Lorenzo El Manifico and Coimbra. So I put three of them in front of you right now. Which one would you grab first, man? I would probably go with Lorenzo. Okay, always come. You know, you 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 dance with the one you you dance. See, there I go. That would have been five dollars. You dance with the date that you brought. Wow. That's close. Give me five dollars. Dance with my, the one that brung you. I thought, see, I thought that's what it says. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, Lorenzo, I just it's it's the dice. And I know Coimbra has dice, but there is just something about the the, the Lorenzo, the engines and the combos that you can get going, and some of the angst that you feel when someone takes a spot from you. I just really enjoy Lorenzo. And then I would, I would pro Coimbra and Almar, either one, either one. Really? So maybe you want to go to, uh, by the way, just so people understand, uh, Almamar has no dice in it. Mm. Well, the other two are very heavy reliant on dice, dice drafting, dice rolling. So there's no dice in this game. So uh, that is a little bit different. If you're expecting like another iteration of Lorenzo Coimbra with dice, this doesn't have that, but it's just a solid of a game. It's just as thinky as the other two. It's just as there's multiple ways to win the game. Tony, I do like the player interaction. I think this probably has more player interaction than the other two because of the fact that each of you are kind of setting the market for one type of resource. And I think that's cool. Yeah, and I think Amamar would be out beat out Coyumbra for me because of that inner track having to relearn it. I think it would be quicker for me to relearn alma mater and teach it. Oh, okay. 
over over Coimbra. Yeah, because remember that inner track in Coimbra where you had to go visit the various. Uh, oh yeah, like the little monasteries or the little paths of everything in the middle and the different. Yeah, I mean the cool thing about Coimbra to me was the fact that in some instances the color of the dice meant something, and in other instances the pips of the dice meant something. But for me, again, what makes this stand out is the whole color of the books and how the books that you earn that you can sell to others are part of the currency used in the game, and I think that really makes this unique. Regardless to me, Tony, I think Eckertspiel Plan B has another another hit on their hands. I think Alma Mater right now is going to be probably one of our finalists for, what was it, uh, it was a headache award? What is it? Give me some aspirin or whatever it is. Yeah, for pass, the Advil, award. pass the Advil. Yeah, pa- pass the Advil. Right now, it's in, the, it's in one of those slots for me personally. Yeah, this game... Well, when I get an opportunity, I will purchase this game and put it on my shelves next to Lorenzo and Coimbra and say, you know, this game right here, we really should play it. (laughs) Uh, So there you go. Uh, I'm a modder. It is currently right now in pre-order. The MSRP on this game is 70 bucks. But again, if you want to, you can pre-order over at Miniature Market for $48.99. On here, it has the estimated release date of August 2020. Boy, you better hurry and get there because we're, we're almost through August. But that just means it's going to be coming sometime soon. Again, fantastic production. Great design. Great thinky game. I'm a modern. So in Rolling Dice and Taking Names Fashions, we're going to bring to you a new session. And I'm going to call this, and I don't know if it's really a good name for it is, but I've, what's that Patsy Cline song? I Fall to Pieces, I believe. Is that right? Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yes, I do. What I've done is convince my wife that a good idea during this time is that possibly on this show that we talk about something that we have been sharing together lately, and that is the joy of putting puzzles together. I use the term joy loosely, especially for me. Why is that? Probably one of your least favorite things to do is a puzzle. But I have to say that during this uh, pandemic that we're in, you have kind of gotten sucked into the joy of puzzle doing. You even will walk past the dining room table and start putting pieces in when I'm not home or when you're just walking by because you want to have that sense of accomplishment of actually putting a few pieces into a puzzle. And we're just going to go with that. As long as the puzzle meets certain criteria, I can do this. But normally, some of the puzzles that you put together are very, very challenging. For instance, the one we're going to talk about in this segment is The World, a Ravensburger puzzle. It's over 2,000 pieces. Not over 2,000 pieces. It is 2,000 pieces. doesn't say on the box over 2,000 pieces. It felt like it was over 2,000 pieces. Now, in full disclaimer, this was one of the puzzles that my wife and daughter put together, and I had very, very limited interaction with this puzzle because it was so massive. So in your mind, is the, was this a challenging puzzle? Well, it was, especially for me, because uh, my geography skills are 
um, a little limited to, you know, places I've been and things that we've studied. And there's a lot on this puzzle that things I've never heard of, countries I've never heard of, cities I've never heard of. There were occasional times that Rebecca and I would have to pull out Google, figure out where in the world something was because we didn't have the first clue as to where it would be on the puzzle. So yeah, it was very challenging. And I quickly learned that I didn't know where some of the things that I thought, for instance, Trinidad, I had no idea. I thought I knew where it was. I thought it was down there in South America. Well, it's not. And you all would ask me, well, where's this? And I would say, oh, I think it's near that. And I was completely wrong. On this puzzle, the magnifying glass was brought out a few times to help identify some locations because of the text is kind of small, but we're used to that here at Rolling Dice, having small, dealing with small text. A lot of small text on these things. And then you'd end up with only partial words too. So, you know, because it's a puzzle and it would chop off in the middle of things. So. I also found that this puzzle, when we were putting it back together, and we'll get to why we were putting it back together, you learn some of the, as you said, geography. Is, is North Korea that far north? Wow, I didn't realize that. Oh, these islands are near Australia. I thought they were closer to Japan. So it's just, you, you, you did. You learned geography with this puzzle. Are you kidding? Even with the U.S., I had problems because it's sort of shaped a little like a globe. So Florida is not south of North Carolina. It's sort of southwest of North Carolina because of the curvature of the map on the puzzle. This doesn't go down here. It has to go down here. It's Jacksonville. It's got to go down here. And it was not where I would have expected it to be. It was a great puzzle. I enjoyed it. Rebecca and I enjoyed it. We have managed to actually preserve this one. So Tony went out and bought puzzle glue and we have glued it together and we're going to start using it to map our um, visits to various locations around the world and realize how few places we've probably been. You have a special felt mat, mat mm -hmm. that you do puzzles on that so you can roll up the puzzle and hopefully it'll stay mostly together. Yeah, that didn't really work well for this um, large puzzle. When you brought it back out of the closet, it was pretty broken up, but at least when you unrolled it, the pieces were in the vicinity of where they needed to go. So yes, you actually helped put it back together twice, I might add, since um, then we needed to move it again and it broke apart some more. Yes, it was. So when you put it on this green felt mat, um, the felt gets in between the pieces. Now I will say one thing about we wanted to review a puzzle, there's a couple things you want to talk about. First off is how well the pieces are cut and how well they go back together. And I'm going to tell you, this puzzle, this Ravensburger puzzle, is very tight fitting. When you put it, you knew that piece was right when you put it in. I like that about a puzzle, though. I think a puzzle should fit well together. Um, I don't think there should be these big question marks when you put a piece in. Does that really go there? Um, and also that when you Sometimes you'll put together a segment of a puzzle and you want to be able to pick it up and move it into the place that it's supposed to go. So I like when a puzzle snaps together well. We've done some that don't and we'll talk about those in later segments. Yeah, this one went together pretty well. It just didn't stay once it got rolled up. Uh, you know how some pieces on some of we, the ones we've done, well, this piece of piece of puzzle looks good here, but wait a minute, does that really fit there? These I thought when I got to put it back together for the signal, I was like, oh, this goes here and it just snapped right in there. I was very pleased. The colors are vibrant on this puzzle. Very beautiful. Kind of cool. They got the mountains with a little snow on them. You see the desert in Africa. 
That's why it's preserved and now mounted on the wall. So. You got some city structures and various beautiful detail, beautiful artwork on this puzzle. So that's why we did the segment. We thought it would be an interesting way. It's something else. It's, it, you can, uh, our contact at Ravensburger has said they have sold through most of their um, supply or their allotment. Well, and then you walk into Walmart and you can't even find puzzles on the shelf unless they're kitty puzzles or something. Um, but finding one of this size and um, depth is difficult to find anymore. Hopefully, we will come back and talk about some more puzzles in the future if people like this segment and say, yeah, we'd love to hear about some of the puzzles you've put together and some of the ones you didn't like. And That means you have to put together more puzzles. I believe we're up to five. We? No. Me, I'm up to more than that. I've probably put down put together a dozen since the pandemic has started so dozen really wow no wonder i can't put a game on the table because there's always a puzzle over there oh which is something you always enjoyed doing when we'd go to the beach you would always start a smaller puzzle and have that out as something to do i would yeah oh i do have to tie in your board gaming though to this puzzle because one of the ways i was able to um tell where some of the cities were was from my favorite board game pandemic Although I'm not sure anymore during a pandemic if that's one of my favorite board games, but I do love that game. And of course, it taught me a little geography that went a long way in putting together this puzzle. When I found Lagos, I knew right where Lagos went. Could you? We could take the puzzle off the wall now, since it's hanging on a wall, and we could actually play Pandemic on this. Yeah. No, not going to happen. <laughs> All There's right. no lines drawn between the cities. We'd love some feedback on the new segment. Do you like puzzles? Do you dislike puzzles? Do you not really care? Doesn't matter. In rolling dice and taking names fashion, we'll try anything once. Thanks for doing this with me, babe. You're welcome. Thanks for doing puzzles with me. Hey, Marty. I'm tired of moon pies. How dare you? I've moved on to truffles. <laughs> Why all of a sudden the urge for a truffle? Could it be just because we played the latest game from AEG called Truffle Shuffle? You sounded like the announcer on Price is Right. <laughs> Come on down. Come on down, Truffle Shuffle, hey, and let's give you a little shuffle. <laughs> Play the new card game from AEG Truffle Shuffle. <laughs> In this game, you're trying to complete sets of cards for points. You're going to play three rounds, and after the third round, the person with the most points wins. <laughs> I'm running through the living room. <laughs> to come to my spot at the table to play. I'm ready. Pick me. Pick me. That's right. This is a cute little game from AEG. It plays two to four player, like 15 to uh, 30 minutes. First of all, you have a beautiful box. I love the way it's packaged. I always talk about the boxes because that catches my attention. The cover looks like a beautiful box of chocolate with pretty pastel colors. I can fit it right there into my purse. <laughs> Vanessa, you could fit a copy of Gloomhaven in your purse. <laughs> it, it's true, but I don't know if I could. That'd be a that'd be a backbreaker. <laughs> so in this game, if there's over a hundred cards, and there's four different colors of cards numbered from one through five, and I really like the way you set up the uh, the game. You're going to shuffle the cards and put down four cards face up, and then beneath it, you're going to put a row of five cards that overlap the cards above it face down. You're going to alternate between face up, face down, increasing the number of cards each time up to nine cards. So that final row of nine cards have all your cards face down. Very simple rules here, Vanessa. You're going to draw a card and mm -hmm. at any time at the end of your turn, you can 
in quote, fulfill an order. So people are willing to buy some truffles from you. And maybe they want uh, like a a large straight where you have one through five, numbers one through five. Or maybe they want, the best thing you can get is maybe a, like a large straight flush, all the same color, numbered one through five. Then they have variations of that. A small straight, a small straight flush, four of one color. The number sets, like you said, like, two twos or three threes or four fours. And each of those give you a certain amount of victory points. So your goal is try to, you're going to draft a card. And at the end, you want to be able to play a set of cards to generate these points. As soon as you put them down, you'll get those number of points and you'll collect them. And then basically you're going to play till all those cards on the table are drafted. And then you're going to set it up and do it two more times than the person with the most points at the end wins. Yeah. And I really liked it because of the aspect you said where the cards were turned over and and they can't, I mean, they were face down, so you don't know what it is until know, one car on top of it was revealed. You just know the color. You do right, know, you just right. know that, well, hopefully this is the one that I need. And and there was a lot of, I don't know if you've ever played a game with Marty. The listeners out there that have ever played with Marty, back me up on this. If you do a move that he was thinking of moving or doing, excuse me. His famous phrase is, you dog. (laughs) (laughs) And there was some of that. You dog, you took my card. Well, it wasn't your card. It's out on the table and I took it. And that's my card. (laughs) Now, there is a little bit of twist to this. I said each of those cards numbered one through five, but there actually are some additional cards in there to potentially help you out. Some of these cards allow you to change the color. And I love those cards. Of the card that you're playing. Mm -hmm. They allow you to change the number. Uh, You can possibly, uh, like some of these are like, if you draw the pink and it has a number sign on it, that can be any number that you need. Right. So you don't, you're not forced to get exactly one through five. Right. Right. There's a rainbow card that can represent any color. Marty, AEG wouldn't make you locked into it like that. You know they're going to put a twist in there. There's, there's, a, there's a nice little bit of strategy <laughs> to it. But what's so cool is you can combo some of these things. Mm-hmm. So you could take like a two green and all of a sudden start tor- uh, torquing it. Wow. So tw- I don't know where that came from. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my At least gosh. I didn't say twerking it, because um, so <laughs> I was going to getting to tweaking it, and then it was all kind of combined together. <laughs> so you could maybe take a two green, and you say, well, I'm going to take this two green, I'm going to play this pink that duplicates an existing number that I've played. So then all of a sudden, it's a two pink. Let and, me just tell everybody what we got there. But I, Yeah, okay. Just, but I, hang on. Okay. Hang on right there. Okay. So your special cards are a rainbow, and you can make it any color. Then you have a card that will change it to any number, a card that will duplicate a card, a card that will change a color, a number change. You can take two from the tableau, or you can skip, skip your turn, and the next turn you'll take three cards. So there was actually times when as far as the numbers or colors, you might have had two cards, but you were very good at using these special cards and you would just be flipping and changing and i would have to say wait a minute what did you just do there combo and it might have been because i don't always believe him (laughs) you got to double check that marty is doing his points right because he'll do it so fast i did a and then he puts the cards away wait a minute you you better go back through that and let me count your points 
mister. <laughs> yeah, because these are little action cards. It's like, well, I'm going to yeah. use this card to modify this to that. And I'm going to use this to modify what I just changed to something else. Ta-da, a straight. So there is some strategy to it. And it's good to have some of these powerful cards to be able to modify the numbers yeah. and the colors as you play over the course of the game. Now, there is a little bit of stress. You can only fulfill one order at the end yeah. of your turn. Yeah. So as the cards on the table start yeah. increasing and there's very few left, you're frantically you just panic. trying to make whatever points you can <laughs> because at the very end of the round, you have to discard every card except for two. You could keep two to carry to the next round. So you don't want to be holding a big whole hand of cards like, oh, great. I don't have enough turns left in order to be able to get all my cards out on the table. Yep. And like you said, this was, it sounds simple, but we did have to use some strategy and it was just a lot of fun. And we played it in... How long? Did we say that already? About 15 minutes. Yeah. Very fun play. Now, I think you won, but it was pretty close. It was pretty close. We were like, yeah. Marty won, and then he started twerking, and I was like, this has gone too far. (laughs) People's like, get that image out of my head. Get that image out of my head. Y'all get it out of your head. I had to see it. Okay, he really didn't. <laughs> okay. So uh, a good family game. Again, one of those I Very think good. anybody would pick up. I think the only yeah. thing that people would have to kind of grasp are those cards that, that can modify existing cards that you can play. But you know what? That's, Excellent. Not, that's Excellent. not the only AEG game that we got to play. It is not. And the next one that you pulled out, you learned a little something about me in this game. For the listeners out there, Vanessa means butterfly. And I have always loved butterflies. And Marty brought the game. He says it better than I do. Oh, great. Now you're putting me on the spot. Mariposas. Mariposas. I love that. Mariposas. <laughs> and I especially wanted to play this game. And I told Marty because it is on my list of must things to do to see the butterflies in Mexico. The monarch. I monarch, monarch ha- yes, the yep. monarch migration is something I've always wanted to do. And he was like, I didn't know that. Like, he knew I love butterflies. And right now I'm wearing a butterfly top and butterfly earrings. She is. I wore it while we played the game. I'm wearing it now because I love butterflies. And mariposas is Spanish for butterflies. Yep. And the theme of this game by Elizabeth Hargrave, who you may know from doing Wingspan, which you've played, basically about the migration of butterflies. You've got generation one butterflies that start out. All right, listen, you always jump into that. Jump into what? What do we like to talk about before? Now, I know your listeners probably want to jump into that, but I want to say <laughs> that I just ood and odd over the cover of the box, the rule book, the monarch butterflies. They are gorgeous. They are beautiful. Your token pieces are different butterflies. You have orange, blue, green, pink, and white. Your dice has flowers on it, Mm -hmm. which is so, so cool. And it's a beautiful, beautiful game. I love the way on the cards, there's the little dots of the the path path thank you thank you i'm so excited i can't even get the word out uh the tokens the flower tokens are beautiful everything about the game is beautiful i did play wingspan it's been a few years it's not as many components Mm, as wingspan but they are still very very beautiful so i want to say before you jump into the rules that I forgot what I wanted to say because I'm gonna, <laughs> you opened the book and I got entranced by the monarchs there. 
while you try to remember what you're going to say, just let me tell you, I'm always going to necessarily go into the rules. This is going to tell you what the, what the theme of it is, is that you have different generations of butterflies that are migrating from Mexico up towards Canada. And they're going to do this over through the seasons. They're going to start, you're going to start out in the spring. You're going to have a spring, summer, and fall season. And by the end, your goal, ultimate goal is hopefully to get a lot of those fourth generation butterflies back down into Mexico. I can't remember what I was going to say, but I'll say this. Okay. <laughs> I remember when we pulled the dye out mm -hmm. that I love the different flowers on there. And I tried to name the flowers and I got a couple of them. Uh, I knew the cone flower and I called one Queen's Anne's Lace, but it is not Queen Anne's Lace. It's Yarrow. 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 Yep. But I got Coneflower and Aster. Mm -hmm. And then what are the other ones on there, Marty? A golden tick seed, butterfly weed, uh, purple coneflower, common yarrow, New England aster. Okay. And now I remembered what I was going to say. There was two things you learned. You learned, number one, that I want that you had to take me to Mexico to see the butterfly, the monarch migration. Okay. And the second thing we learned was you learned what milkweed was. Yes. So I didn't know that milkweed was the only plant that the butterflies... The monarch caterpillar will eat. Yes. And so on the board... As you're migrating or moving your butterfly tokens, if you end up beside a milkweed icon, then that's where you can turn in these flower tokens that you've been collecting in order to try to hatch a new generation of butterflies. And mm -hmm. the higher the generation of the butterflies, the more of these flower tokens that you're going to need to do so. And then I, th I think you might have said it. You have actually butterfly. You have one, two, three, and four levels of butterflies mm -hmm. so you start out with your level one you play your card you always have two cards in your hand you play your card you move those spaces you get that flower that's it yep as far as the turn and if you happen to end up beside one of these milkweed icons mm -hmm. that's where you can do a hatching so for example to hatch a level two or generation two you turn in two of the mm -hmm. same flower or three of any kind, mm -hmm. and then you put the number two out on the board. So that's increasing the number of butterflies that you have in order to be able to move about. And you want to spread them out as much as possible because there are way stations that are set up along the board, which is something I didn't know about either. Yes, and I had never heard the term way station either. I've heard butterfly highway and how you want to plant flowers to attract the butterflies along the butterfly highway. But the way stations on the game board are actual cities. There's Atlanta, Houston. There's just different cities. All the way up to Canada to like All Toronto, et cetera. Yep. yep. And at the way station, if you land on a way station, you flip that token over and you get some special cards. Mm -hmm. Some of the cards are you're trying to collect life cycle cards. So you have your egg, you have your caterpillar, you have your chrysalis, and then you have the butterfly. Wow, you did that from memory. I That's did. impressive. I teach the life cycle of a butterfly. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> and I will tell everybody you had the chrysalis and the caterpillar mixed up, but <laughs> that doesn't matter. Oh, on so, the board? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, so, yeah, okay, yeah. So you have those four cards representing the life cycle. Four cards, three different colors. You get one point for each component of the life cycle that you get. So these are scattered about the board. You don't know where they are. Then there's also a chance to get some specialty cards to give you extra actions and bonus features. If you collect the entire set of one color. You get the added bonus. 
side note here, we played two player. We didn't come close to turning over the waste all of the way stations. This plays up to five players, and after we've played, we thought, man, this would be better with more players because then there's more butterflies flying around the map to flip over those way stations. So if there's this particular ability that you want, in-game scoring or something like that, which is what these cards are, at least you know what way stations to move towards. Because we were just like, well, nope, I, that's another pink, but I wanted green, you know, the green lifestyle card. So we w had a tough time finishing a set of four. So they are worth one point a piece, like you said. That's, right. that, that's good to have, too. And landing theirs is typically, that's pretty good, too, because as we're getting to a second, there's these objectives uh, that mm -hmm. you're going to uh, want to have based on where you are on the map. So you're going to be flying north anyway, and landing over these is just usually a good situation. Some of those have just additional bonus move cards, mm -hmm. which were nice to have in your hand, which were like a one-time use too. Play a card, move your butterfly. If you land at a way station, turn it over, get that card, collect four cards, get a special bonus. Land beside the milkweed. Was that when you rolled the flower die? To get the no, extra, you rolled the I'm flower sorry. die when you first land on a way station. Okay, and flip. We over. didn't say that. Yeah. Yep. So there was an extra bonus there for landing on the way station. Mm -hmm. But that was for the first first butterfly that landed there. Yep. Subsequent butterflies, you don't get an extra flower, but you do get the bonus. You do get like, the bonus card, and that's one yep. thing you can't really mess anybody up in this game. I do not like head-on-head -head competitive no. games. I love sweet butterflies <laughs> flying around, drinking the sweet nectar from the cone flowers, laying their eggs, nibbling on the milkweed. <laughs> and and it's, it is true. So, you know, lots of times in, in games like this, it's like, well, you know, you can't through, move through other butterflies. You can't have multiple butterflies in the same space. Nope. You can stack up these butterflies however you want. Nothing is limited by your movement or anything like that. Uh, it's very friendly. If you happen to get two cards that are the same uh, as far as your movement cards and, and you don't like them, you can like turn one or turn both in and draw new cards. Uh, when you go from different seasons, whoever's in last place gets to go first. So there's a little catch-up mechanic there. So it's very friendly to people who may not play a lot of board games because you don't have that head-to-head -head competition uh, but at the same time, I did want to win, and I, I wanted my butterflies to <laughs> fly faster than yours. I wanted the one where they could fly five spaces. But mm -hmm. <laughs> And speaking of seasons, I really like this part. So the game is broken up into three seasons, and on the first season, spring, you're going to play four cards. Mm -hmm. And you also have in-season objective cards, which are random each game. That will give you bonus points at the end of the season if you achieve those. A lot of those types of achievements were the board was made up into different colors. Uh, different areas had different colors. And it was like, hey, if you're to the north of Atlanta and you have a butterfly in an orange spot and a butterfly in a green spot at the end of the spring, then you'll get some you'll get six points. Mm -hmm. So it's these little objectives like, oh, cool. So now I have like a little goal. I know I'll get six points if I can get a butterfly here and a butterfly here. And as the seasons go on, they're a little bit harder to get to. They're, they're further away or uh, they require more butterflies in different areas. But by that time, you should have a lot of butterflies out on the board. So I like And with each season, season, you can play one extra card. So first season was four cards. Yep. Spring, summer, you got five. Fall, you got six. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially, you're playing, what, four, five, nine, plus six, 15. 15 rounds. 
and the game is and the game is over. So yeah, yeah by the last season you are get to play more, but then it's kind of a race. I want to get my level four butterflies back down into Mexico because in-game scoring is the more level four or generation four butterflies you have down there, the more points you're going to get. Right. And there were uh, some cards and there's some features if you that you can make your level four butterfly, turn him over, and he counts as two butterflies. Mm-hmm. Like it's, if you can't upgrade level four anymore, but what you can do is still turn in four of the same type of flower and flip it over, then it counts as two, uh, just like you said. And I think this is interesting too. The different generations of butterflies don't make that entire migration. That's they right. die. At the end of spring, you get to hatch a number two for free if you haven't hatched them all and the number ones come off. At the yes. end of the summer, the number twos come off. Threes and fours stayed on the board the entire time. Yeah. So yeah. it was interesting too, as a part of the strategy was how fast can I get the threes and fours out because I know they're not going to go away. And I know one thing with games that we play, I always ask, how long is it? How long is it? This is a game where I didn't want it to end. Time went by fast, and I didn't want it to end. I wanted to get more of my butterflies down. (laughs) Because it's tough. It's like when you're like, okay, awesome. I got a level four butterfly all the way up to Toronto. It's like, oh. Oh, we've only got like three rounds left. I need the the cards let me move five spaces at a time to try to yep. r- rush back down yep. south. I think I had four level fours out and only two of them made it back. Again, that's part of the strategy is, well, I don't want to send the level fours too far north because I want to mm-hmm. make sure I can get them back down to the south. The level ones and level twos, they're going to die off anyway. So you maybe want to spend those to like just go off on the far reaches of the board to try to flip over and get your way station stuff. Mm-hmm. Then once they go away, try to keep your threes and fours strategically Mm-hmm. where you want them for the rest of the game. And again, a lot of that determines is determined by the in-season scoring objectives because mm-hmm. you're always trying to shoot to get those bonus points mid-game. Definitely, I want to play it again. Like after we played it, we're like, oh, next time I would do this, 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 this. But the but the cards may change. The, for collecting all the different sets of the life cycle will for sure change. The in-season scoring objectives will change. So there is some randomness to it. The way stations go out randomly on the board. So there's a lot of variability in the game. But one thing that remains the same is that it is a ton of fun mm-hmm. and informative. You learned so much. I learned a lot. I, I really did. Uh, and it was just kind of like with Wingspan. You had all the, you know, every yes. card is a different bird. If people are wondering, there's not like the information and the facts. Like in Wingspan, you had all the facts about the different types of birds and the habitats, if I'm remembering right. It's not like this. There there aren't any components like that within the game mm-hmm. play. Uh, you're looking at the book. Are there some, there's some facts in the book. There's just some facts. Like it tells you about the flight yeah. of the monarch yeah. and how the, the population has decreased. And because of that, yeah. people are trying to put out more way stations. And we watched a little video before we reviewed mm-hmm. where they're trying to uh, make, make a preserve mm-hmm. of the path of migration to try to get their population back up. I did want to say that this game has inspired me to want to plant more plants to attract the, uh, the, the butterflies. Milkweeds, yep. right? Which, yep. uh, again, I, I didn't know about. So yep. one great thing about this in Wingspan is that um, it's very accessible to a lot of people. This mm-hmm. is one of those things I could get, you know, my parents, your, your mom oh, yeah. played Wingspan. Oh, yeah, they, they played Wingspan. It's like, oh, I, I know what this is about. I know about monarch butterflies. Oh, and- yeah, and my mom has all butterfly plants and knows it. For a lot of people that don't want to get into, like, you know, 
Okay, let's uh, let's play this game from the uh, the 1500s. That's about you know making linen or you know. <laughs> I mean, most of these style of games they usually have some sort of theme uh, in it. Some of it's more approachable than others. I think this is one that's very approachable because it's very applicable to what we see now. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is Mariposas from Elizabeth Hargrave. Mariposas. From AEG. It came out on August 28th, so it's available right now. Two to five players. It plays on the box. It says 45 to 75 minutes. The more players, the more people uh, yeah. that'll play. I think four player be a sweet spot. Wouldn't get too long for us, but more of those way stations will get flipped over so we can try to get yeah. those goals. Yeah, I would like to play it with a couple more people. All right. Thanks, Vanessa. You're welcome. Well, we're going to give some time back here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names. We know you've gotten used to two and a half, three, maybe five hours from us. Well, we're going, we're going to give some time back. We're going to call this show done. We're going to stick a fork in it. It is well done. It is time to move on. There's been some new stuff in here. You've got to hear from the wives again. You got to hear us talk about a whole bunch of games, Marty. I think it is time for us to check out. Yeah, and uh, Tony, uh, we got our Thursday date set up. I'm not sure. I'm uh, the past couple times I've kind of said, "Hey guys, let's pay this." Tony is going to pick a game to learn and teach for Thursday. I kind of know what options he's thinking about, so I can't wait to see what he picks. Whatever it is, you're going to for sure hear it on the next episode. Absolutely, and who knows? I could throw a curveball at them. They may think they're getting this heavy game over here, and I bring, oh, I don't know, this rolling right. I would not do that to him. Or maybe I will, because I have been known to do that. You just never well, do you know, Like I said, we got a few hours there. We usually need something to fill out the time. Uh, like last week, we got done pretty quick with the small world of Warcraft and had a little time that we could have had a little rolling right to finish out the night. Absolutely. But when I get to pick the game, you know you're going to be rolling your dice and taking names. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Dyson Names. You can join our BGG Guild 1589. Like us on Facebook. We now have a Discord server. You can find out more on our website. As always, come back next episode. We'll see what Tony puts on the table. Whatever it is, I'm sure we're going to like it. Maybe. So, Tony, you think we're going to be out uh, $5 anywhere this episode? Boy, you're going to have to raise our rates somewhere. It's going to be, it's going to hurt. <laughs> over to portalgamesus.com where you can go ahead and get that pre-order in for Detective. Heck, by the time you listen to this, it could be out. I'm not going to commit because I don't want to pay you another $5 for after that episode. Also, be sure to check out Monolith Arena Golems. Army Pack is on pre-order now. Who knows what else you can find? Oh, Barbarian Hordes. Marty, I can't wait. We get to play Barbarian Hordes in Empires of the North. Another expansion. Oh, and the playmats are still in. Be sure to check it out over at portalgamesus.com. Mm-hmm.